0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. In this podcast, we're pleased to be able to share with you comments made by Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco at the 2023 SCCE Compliance and Ethics Institute. Listen in to her remarks, including those about the voluntary self disclosure program for mergers and acquisitions. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for that warm welcome and and that very kind introduction, Brett, and thanks also for inviting me to talk with you today. This is an important audience for the Department of Justice, because your voice and your work to promote a culture of compliance across your companies, it's more important today than ever. If you've been paying attention to the policies we've been implementing over the past two years, you've probably noticed that I talk a lot about empowering general counsels and compliance officers to make the case in the boardroom and in the C-suite for investments in compliance, and to make the case that investing in strong compliance programs is good for business. As compliance officers, you're on the front line of protecting your company and its shareholders. And in today's world, more and more frequently, That means protecting national security. Corporate enforcement, I think, is in an era of expansion and innovation. Over the past two years, we've engaged in corporate enforcement actions to protect national security in unprecedented numbers and in unexpected industries. We've adopted new tools to fashion tailored punishments and enhance the business case for robust compliance. And we've increased consistency, predictability, and transparency for all of you and the boardrooms that you advise. And we're not done. Some of the examples I'll share today make this case. Invest in compliance now, or your company may pay the price, and a significant price, later. Today, I'll talk about how we've advanced the fight against corporate crime. And I'm going to describe where we're going next. First, I'll discuss the dramatic expansion of our corporate enforcement efforts in the national security realm as we confront new risks that threaten our collective security. Second, I'll discuss new tools we're using to penalize corporate misconduct and incentivize good corporate citizenship. Third, I'll announce our latest effort to promote voluntary self-disclosures, our new mergers and acquisitions safe harbor policy. Finally. I'm going to briefly preview some areas where we see further opportunity for innovation and expansion. Now, let me start by addressing the biggest shift in corporate criminal enforcement that I've seen during my time in government the rapid expansion of national security related corporate crime. Today, corporate crime intersects with our national security in everything from terrorist financing, sanctions evasion, and the circumvention of export controls to cyber and crypto crime. And we're seeing new national security dimensions in familiar areas of corporate crime as well, from FCPA violations to intellectual property theft that affects critical supply chains and involves disruptive technologies. Today, companies confront a complex geopolitical environment. And many companies are responding commendably They're implementing sophisticated compliance controls to mitigate otherwise risky business lines, and where necessary, they're exiting markets that pose undue risk. But some companies haven't kept pace with today's compliance challenges, and where those companies violate the law, we're holding them accountable. Let me highlight some recent examples. Last October, in in the first ever corporate guilty plea for material support to terrorism, French cement firm Lafarge admitted to paying the Islamic State and an al-Qaeda affiliate to protect its profits and gain market share. The company pleaded guilty to providing material support to terrorists and paid more than $775 million in penalties. In April of this year, British American Tobacco entered into a DPA. Its subsidiary pleaded guilty and the company paid more than $635 million for violating U.S. sanctions. BAT admitted to selling tobacco in North Korea, which in turn generated revenue that advanced North Korean nuclear programs. And last month, the department announced the first ever criminal resolution for sanctions violations from the illicit sales and transport of Iranian oil. The shipping company, Suez Rajan Limited, pleaded guilty And the United States seized nearly 1 million gallons of contraband Iranian oil. Now, more and more of our corporate resolutions implicate our national security. In fact, already this year, the number of major national security corporate resolutions has doubled compared to last year. So, to meet this moment, we're adding more than 25 new corporate crime prosecutors in our national security division, including the Division's first-ever Chief Counsel for Corporate Enforcement. And we're increasing by 40 percent the number of prosecutors in the Criminal Division's Bank Integrity Unit, which holds accountable financial institutions that violate U.S. sanctions and the Bank Secrecy Act. So our message should be clear. The tectonic plates of corporate crime have shifted. National security compliance risks are widespread. They're here to stay and they should be at the top of every company's compliance risk chart. Now, we're not just expanding enforcement. We're also developing new tools and remedies to punish and deter. This year, we've announced corporate criminal resolutions that for the first time include divestiture of lines of business, specific performance as part of restitution and remediation, and tailored compensation and compliance requirements. For example, when the antitrust division recently announced DPAs with two pharmaceutical companies, Teva and Glenmark, we determined that a monetary penalty alone wasn't sufficient. Instead, the department required the companies to divest a widely used cholesterol medicine that was a core part of the company's price-fixing conspiracy. This was the first time the department required divestiture as part of a corporate criminal resolution another example of innovation, we're now employing specific performance as a new remedy. As part of the recent Suez Rajan resolution, not only did the company plead guilty, but it was required to transport almost one million barrels of contraband Iranian crude oil across the globe to the United States, where it was seized pursuant to court order. We are also keenly focused on the role compensation plays in guiding employee behavior. By rewarding compliance and deterring wrongdoing, a well-designed compensation program can align executives' financial interests with the company's interest in good corporate citizenship. So earlier this year, I directed the Criminal Division to create a pilot program to jumpstart innovation in the design of compensation systems. Under the pilot program, every criminal division resolution now requires companies to add compliance promoting criteria to their compensation systems. These criteria are tailored to the company's existing compensation system to ensure integration with its compliance program. The program is already bearing fruit, with incentive requirements included in several recent resolutions, such as those with Albemarle and Corfi-Colombiana. The pilot program also rewards companies that claw back or withhold incentive compensation from executives responsible for misconduct or who attempt to do so in good faith. For every dollar that a company claws back or withholds from an employee who engaged in misconduct or a supervisor that knew of or turned a blind eye to it, the department will deduct a dollar from the otherwise applicable penalty that the resolving company would pay. Again, we're seeing positive early returns. For example, as part of last week's Albemarle resolution, the company received a clawback credit for withholding bonuses of employees who engaged in misconduct. Not only did Albemarle keep the bonuses that would have gone to wrongdoers, the company also received an offset against its penalty for the same amount. That's money saved for Albemarle and its shareholders and a concrete demonstration of the value of clawback programs. Companies can't wait, though, to enact compliance promoting compensation policies until they're in the government's crosshairs. Companies, their boards, and their compliance officers should be addressing how their compensation policies promote compliance today, and they should be assessing whether their clawback programs are fit for purpose and ready for deployment. Compliance should no longer be viewed as just a cost center for companies. Good corporate governance and effective compliance programs can shield companies from enormous financial risks and penalties. Let me turn now to the next area where we are innovating, and that's voluntary self-disclosure policies. The department's recent corporate enforcement actions, like the ones I just mentioned, illustrate the enormous gulf between outcomes for companies that do the right thing, that step up and own up, and companies that do the opposite. To enhance transparency and predictability, I announced in March that every Justice Department component engaged in corporate criminal enforcement now has a voluntary self-disclosure policy. So, when companies promptly disclose misconduct, fully and in a timely manner, They can take advantage of the program's benefits in any type of case, in any part of the department, and in any part of the country. Encouraging companies to self-report misconduct can result in a virtuous cycle. By giving a path to resolution and declination to companies trying to do the right thing, we're able to identify and prosecute the individuals who are not. For example, earlier this year, We declined to prosecute Corsa Coal Corporation for FCPA violations because the company timely and voluntarily self-disclosed the misconduct. They remediated, cooperated, and disgorged the profits to the extent of its capability. Crucially, the company provided information about individual wrongdoers, including two former vice presidents who were charged criminally for their involvement in the scheme. And this brings me to the next step when it comes to voluntary self-disclosure, our new mergers and acquisitions safe harbor policy. In a world where companies are on the front line in responding to geopolitical risks, we're mindful of the danger of unintended consequences. The last thing the department wants to do is discourage companies with effective compliance programs from lawfully acquiring companies with ineffective compliance programs and a history of misconduct. Instead, we want to incentivize the acquiring company to timely disclose misconduct uncovered during the M&A process. Now, in 2008, the FCPA unit published an opinion requested by the energy company Halliburton in which the department said it didn't intend to take enforcement action against Halliburton for misconduct that it self-disclosed and remediated post-acquisition within a certain time frame. That opinion, though, applied only to that transaction and didn't have broader application. Since then, some parts of the department have addressed M&A transactions as part of their voluntary self-disclosure policies, though they differ from each other in approach. So today, for the first time, we are announcing a department-wide safe harbor policy for voluntary self-disclosures made in the context of the mergers and acquisition process. Going forward, Acquiring companies that promptly and voluntarily disclose criminal misconduct within the safe harbor period, and that cooperate with the ensuing investigation and engage in requisite timely and appropriate remediation, restitution, and disgorgement, they will receive the presumption of a declination. To ensure consistency, I am instructing that this safe harbor policy be applied department-wide. Each part of the department will tailor its application of this policy to fit their specific enforcement regime and will consider how this policy will be implemented in practice. To ensure predictability, we're setting clear timelines. As a baseline matter, to qualify for the safe harbor, companies must disclose misconduct discovered at the acquired entity within six months from the date of closing. That applies whether the misconduct was discovered pre or post acquisition. Companies will then have a baseline of one year from the date of closing to fully remediate the misconduct. Now, both of these baselines are subject to a reasonableness analysis because we recognize that deals differ and not every transaction is the same. So, depending on the specific facts and circumstances and the complexity of a particular transaction, those deadlines could be extended by department prosecutors. And of course, companies that detect misconduct that threatens national security or involves ongoing or imminent harm can't wait for a deadline to self-disclose. For transparency, we're making clear that aggravating factors will be treated differently in the m and context. The presence of aggravating factors at the acquired company will not impact in any way the acquiring company's ability to receive a declination. Now, one question we've heard is how the department will treat the acquired entity when an acquirer voluntarily self-discloses under the safe harbor policy. Unless aggravating factors exist at the acquired company, that entity can also qualify for the applicable voluntary self-disclosure benefits, including potentially a declination. Finally. Misconduct disclosed under the Safe Harbor Policy will not affect any recidivist analysis at the time of disclosure or in the future. Put another way, any misconduct disclosed under the Safe Harbor Policy will not be factored into future recidivist analysis for the acquiring company. Of course, this policy will only apply to criminal conduct discovered in bona fide arms-length M&A transactions. The safe harbor doesn't apply to misconduct that was otherwise required to be disclosed or is already public or known to the department, nor will anything in this policy impact civil merger enforcement. So for those advising boards and deal teams, here are the takeaways. We're placing an enhanced premium on timely compliance-related due diligence and integration. Compliance must have a prominent seat at the deal table if an acquiring company wishes to effectively de-risk a transaction. By contrast, if your company doesn't perform effective due diligence or self-disclosed misconduct at an acquired entity, it will be subject to full successor liability for that misconduct under the law. Our goal is simple. Good companies, those that invest in strong compliance programs, will not be penalized for lawfully acquiring companies when they do their due diligence and discover and self-disclose misconduct. And we're doubling down on clarity and predictability. Through careful due diligence and timely post-acquisition integration, alongside self-disclosure, remediation, disgorgement, and cooperation where warranted, acquiring companies can protect shareholders, promote compliance, and advance the goal of fighting corporate crime. So what's next? We're looking to apply our corporate enforcement principles across the entire department, especially in areas implicating cybersecurity, technology, and national security. The entire department shares the same principles in both civil and criminal enforcement, holding corporate and individual wrongdoers accountable, incentivizing compliance, self-disclosure, remediation, and cooperation, and, deterring and penalizing repeat bad actors. You should expect more to come on this topic as we continue to extend consistent, transparent application of our corporate enforcement policies across the department beyond the criminal context to other enforcement resolutions, from breaches of affirmative civil case settlements to violations of CFIUS mitigation agreements or orders. Gone are the days when executives could view corporate enforcement matters as the cost of doing business. In this new era, corporate executives need to redouble time and attention to compliance programs, compensation programs, and diligence on acquisitions. Failing to do so can have dire consequences for companies, shareholders, and our nation. The world is full of risks. Corporations, and by extension, all of you in corporate compliance are on the front lines. Of course, your job is to protect your company, but in doing so, by focusing on robust compliance and by investing in good corporate governance, you're also protecting our national security. Thanks very much for having me, and I look forward to taking some questions. Thank you for listening in. I hope you enjoyed hearing these remarks.